Well, good morning, everyone. It'll be helpful to you if you have the passages of Barclay just read for us open in Revelation 21 and 22. We'll be looking at that together as we go through God's message this morning. I'm not quite as tall as Barclay. I'm not quite as small as Margaret. So somewhere in the middle, it'll be just right, I think. Goldilocks, that's what they say, isn't it? Just right. Tom Jones, depending on which generation you're from, the name Tom Jones might mean different things to you. It might mean absolutely nothing to you, in which case some may consider you fortunate. But if you're of an older generation, Tom Jones may be the darling of the 1960s and 70s, maybe the 1980s music scene. If you're a younger generation, you might know him as the old guy on The Voice, the talent show on BBC, and I think it's now on ITV. And you might be thinking, what's he doing there with the grey hair? Why is he on there with the other folks? But Tom Jones is actually a fantastic musician, and he has sung a wonderful song called The Green, Green Grass of Home. And it's one of those old country songs that's an old sentimental classic that talks about the feelings that Tom Jones has as he goes home to his home place. A man who had travelled all over the world, and yet he sung a song about what it was like to go home, and about the sentimentality of going back home. I get that, because I go back to Northern Ireland, and I better watch what I say, because my wife's down at the back. But England is not my home. You can tell by my accent, it's not where I'm from. Yes, my family are here now, but whenever I go back to Northern Ireland, and I fly across Belfast Lock and land in at Belfast City Airport, there's just a feeling about being home. There's just something about it. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there's something about being home. And my aim this morning is, for those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, is to lift our eyes to our eternal home, to encourage us, because just as we were singing that hymn that we've just sung, Be Still My Soul, it struck me that, The line, your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. That's not easy, is it? But the next line, all now mysterious, shall be bright at last. And I want to make that real to us this morning as we look at Revelation 21 and 22. If you're not a believer here this morning, don't switch off. Because I want to ask you the question, where will you spend eternity? And I want to persuade you this morning, or rather I want God's word to persuade you this morning, that heaven is a place where you will want to be for all eternity. You will spend eternity somewhere, and heaven is a place you will want to spend eternity. To do that, I've got three sections. If you find it helpful, the green notice sheet has the headings. We have the perfection of heaven. We look at the people in heaven, and then we look at the pleasure in heaven. And when we get there, you might not like that I've done it, but it's just for three Ps to say the pleasure of heaven. I don't like it either, but it's no preacher's trick. So let's get into the passage and let's look at the perfection of heaven. As Barclay read to us, you will note that heaven is not a place like anything we could imagine in this world, is it? Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 says, No longer will there be any curse. It doesn't take me to stand at the front here on a Sunday morning and tell you that there's a lot wrong with the world. As you look around the world today, there are big problems on the big scale. You look at the war in Ukraine, 
You look at ongoing wars in Syria, Iraq. You look at famine in Yemen, which doesn't even make the news. You look at your own life and you will know there is much wrong with the world. If you want the most obvious example, death comes to 100% of people. All of us are going towards death. Our only experience of this world is a world under curse. If you look back to creation in Genesis chapter 1, God said that everything he had made was very good. There's a perfect world created with Eden. But then, of course, Genesis chapter 3 came and the fall and everything in the world was subject to the effects of sin. And so our only experience today of this present world is a world under curse. But John in his vision of heaven in Revelation 22 verse 3 tells us that heaven is a place where there will no longer be any curse. Isn't that wonderful to know there's a place coming where the curse will be gone. But not only will the curse be gone, the effects of the curse will be gone. Heaven is a perfect place. There will be no sin. There will be no death. There will be no sorrow. There will be no crying. It's a perfect place where everything is made well again. Why is that? Well, look at the subheadings then. We have perfect fellowship in heaven. In heaven, we who are believers will experience perfect fellowship one with another. But what I want us to think about here is perfect fellowship with our God. Because in uh, Revelation 21 and verse 4, if you want to flick back, sorry, verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3, John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. For those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus, our experience of him now is only a little taste of what we will experience in heaven. His spirit indwells us and empowers us to live day by day. But in heaven, the very dwelling place of God will be with men. He will live with them. We will be his people and he will be our God. We will experience perfect fellowship with him in heaven. Our little foretaste of glory divine today will give way to glory inexpressible because our God will be with us. He'll make his tabernacle, his dwelling place with us and the people he has redeemed to himself will experience what it is for God himself to live with men. We will experience perfect fellowship but we will experience perfect restoration as well. Look at verse 4 of Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. As I say, our experience of this world is one that is under the curse. It's under the effects of the curse. As I said, 100% of us are going towards death. That is the ultimate end of human life. But all of this will pass away. We're told here of a God who will dwell with his people. And then he, God himself, the one who he sung at the beginning, who has held the oceans in his hands, who has numbered every grain of sands, but he, 
will become our shepherd king and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The old has passed away. All things are become new. Death is gone. Cancer is gone. Mental illness is gone. Worry and doubt and fear are gone. For everything has been made new. What a wonderful day that's going to be. And if you're here this morning, you're grieving, look up today to that place where he will wipe away every tear from our eye. I don't say that flippantly. I say that meaningfully to say, lift up your eyes because a day is coming that if you're in Christ, when he will wipe away every tear. If you're struggling with the day-to-day burdens of life today, look forward to that day when all of that will pass away. For the old has gone and all things have been made new. We will have perfect fellowship with our God for he will make his dwelling place among us. There will be perfect restoration because God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. This isn't on your sheet but notice actually there's perfect government in heaven. I wonder do you long for perfect government? I'm not going to say anything about what's been going on for the last few weeks in our country. But across the world there is government that is corrupt. We're very fortunate here actually. There's governments that are corrupt in Africa. There's governments that are tyrannical out in North Korea. We have a government that's just chaotic here in the UK. I think that's fair to say. Nobody's going to take me up on that one. But there's a day coming when there will be perfect government. For if you want to flick back over Revelation 22 and verse 3. Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in that city. God will establish his reign. And he, as the perfect, holy, just God, will rule forever and ever. There'll be no more leadership elections, you'll be pleased to hear. There'll be no more tyrannical rule. God himself will reign. And we will reign with him, those of us in Christ. That was just a quick aside. We've perfect fellowship. We've perfect restoration. There'll be perfect service. Look at verse 3 again of Revelation chapter 22. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. People often wonder what will we do in heaven. I hear people saying, oh, he's up there playing rugby now, or he's up there doing something now, which really annoys me, I have to say. Because heaven isn't just a better version of this world. Heaven is something that is completely new. The reading that Bartley read begins, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heavens and old earth had passed away. We won't just be doing the things that we like to do in this life and doing them a little bit better with new bodies and getting on great like that. In heaven we will praise the Lord Jesus Christ. But Revelation 22 verse 3 tells us that we will serve him. Perhaps you're feeling the burden of age this morning. You just feel like you can't serve the Lord in the way you once did. And perhaps it's a frustration, perhaps it's a grief to you that you feel you can't serve him. A day is coming when you will serve him perfectly. For those of you who feel like you can serve the Lord still, Perhaps it's a burden to you anyway. You feel what it's like to have the stresses, the strains of week by week ministering 
or week by week going through the admin processes you have to do. Maybe you have disputes about your ministry style. There'll be none of that in heaven. There'll be perfect service. We'll be united as one body, serving the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. Pilgrim's Progress is a wonderful allegory. It's in the church library, so if you want to read it, I'd encourage you to do that. There's even a modern English version if you don't want to compete with the these, thousand, and therefores of the 16th century. But it's an allegory. It's not meant to be taken literally, but in that book you have many wonderful lessons. And Pilgrim, who's going, making his way towards the celestial city, which is a picture of heaven, he encounters these shining ones, who are the angels who tell him what heaven is going to be like. And the shining ones say to these two men, making their way towards heaven, There you shall serve him continually with praise, shouting and thanksgiving, even him who you desire to serve in the world, though with much difficulty because of your flesh. Service isn't easy, is it? At times it can be difficult, but there in heaven we will serve him perfectly with no more difficulty at all. Heaven is a perfect place because the place where God himself will make his dwelling with men. We will have that perfect fellowship with him. It's a perfect place because we will have that perfect restoration. All things will be made new. And it's a perfect place because we will serve him perfectly. As we've never served him down here below, we will serve him perfectly up there. Heaven is a perfect place. But notice then, secondly, the people in heaven. For heaven isn't just a perfect place, but heaven has people within it. Revelation 22 verse 4 says, They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Heaven is an exclusive place. That could be a controversial statement nowadays because everything's about inclusivity. You enter any public sector workplace and you'll still find yourself, soon find yourself on an EDI course, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion. Well, the, the clear message of the Bible right from Genesis to Revelation is that heaven is an exclusive place. It's not for everyone. Everyone may go there, but not everyone will go there. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we see very clearly who will not be in heaven, but we see who will be in heaven. Look at Revelation 21 again with me. Sorry to keep you flicking back and forward, but Revelation 21 and verse 8. And we see here clearly that heaven is an exclusive place because John writes, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Heaven is not for everyone. And in short, you could summarize that list as unrepentant sinners because I don't think that the key to the list is actually looking at all the different sins and picking out am I included in that one or am I not included in that one the key to the list is actually the second thing that John writes the cowardly the unbelieving that is the key to understanding that list for elsewhere in the Bible 1 Corinthians Titus we read of places where Christians there were just like this they were cowardly They were the vile, they were the murderers, they were the sexually immoral. But Paul writes to them, and such were some of you. 
but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who will not be in heaven are those who are unbelieving. And if you're here this morning, you're not a believer, I want to ask you the question, where will you spend eternity? We've seen a perfect place this morning already, but where will you be in eternity? Will you be in that perfect place, enjoying that perfect fellowship with God, enjoying that perfect restoration where all things are made new, perfectly serving him, or will you be included in this people who, the Bible is clear, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The good news of the gospel is that there will be people who will be in heaven. Not because we have done good. For see then, secondly, who will be in heaven? Verses 6 and 7 of Revelation 21 tell us. John writes, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The people who will be in heaven are the overcomers. The people who will be in heaven are those who have drank from the spring of the water of life. Now you might be sitting there thinking, what on earth are you talking about, this spring of the water of life? If I go in after we've had our service here and go in and have a cup of water, does that mean I'm going to be in heaven? Well, elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus himself in his own ministry presented himself as offering the water of life. He presented himself as offering living water which would give eternal life to all who would drink. The offer stood open and the offer stands open today. Those who will be in heaven will not be those who have done good. It won't be those who have uh, lived a perfect life. I can tell you that now because I'm going to be there and I haven't lived a perfect life. Those who will be in heaven will be those who have drank from this spring of the water of life, who have come to the Lord Jesus and who have asked for forgiveness of their sins. If you wanted to summarize who will not be in heaven, the unbelieving, who will be in heaven, the believing. My granda loves to sing. He's got dementia now, but he still sings hymns while he sat in his little nursing home room. And he used to be in a male choir. And there's one song in particular that he loves to sing. And the closing verse of it really emphasizes this exclusivity of heaven. But it tells us who will be there. These are the lyrics to the last verse. When I soar to realms of glory and an entrance I await, if I whisper, Jesus only, wide will open the pearly gate. The people who will be in heaven will be those who will whisper, Jesus only, as their plea. They won't begin the answer to the question, why are you here with I? They'll begin with Jesus only. And that will be our theme throughout eternity, those of us who know and love him. Would you take Jesus this morning as your plea? Don't rely on yourself or on your own good works for eternity, for they will all be burned up and will all be useless to you. Take Jesus only, and you can join this great company of people who will be in heaven. We've seen the perfection of heaven. We've seen the people who will be in heaven. Notice finally then the pleasure of heaven. And the reason I don't like this third P is because 
There's nothing I could say this morning. There's no little preacher's guidebook that I could give you to express what I want to express from these, from this little section of the sermon. I just hope that whatever I say will stir your affection to worship the Lord Jesus. For the pleasure of heaven will not in fact be in the place. It won't be even in seeing loved ones who have gone before and being reunited with them. It won't be in having our tears wiped away. All those things will be wonderful. But they will not in fact be the very pleasure of heaven. The pleasure of heaven is found in Revelation 22 verse 4. Where John simply says, they will see his face. Is there anything more beautiful in all of Holy Scripture? They will see his face. The people who are in heaven will see his face. An old Puritan once said, I would far rather have Christ without heaven than heaven without Christ. Well, thank God we don't have to choose. Because Christ will be the very heaven of heaven. All the way through the reading that Barclay read, I hope you notice this repeated phrase, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And then it would have something. Just looking down at my own Bible, I can see Revelation 21 verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Elsewhere it talks about the Lamb giving the city its light. Christ himself is going to be the very heaven of heaven. It's been the theme of the Old Testament saints. It's been the theme of New Testament saints. Right the way through Christian history, their desire has has been to be with Christ. Let me give you an example or two. Job in the Old Testament. In Job chapter 19, he said, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that the last he will take his stand in the earth, Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I shall see God. The New Testament saints had this same hope, for Paul wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And he finished off that great account of the resurrection of the dead in Christ by saying, So shall we ever be with the Lord. The fact that we will be with Jesus will be with, will be the very heaven of heaven. That will be our joy in heaven. As I say, everything else will be great. I'm looking forward to seeing loved ones who have gone before. I'm looking forward to seeing the golden streets and asking the Old Testament saints, you know, what was it like, Moses, to go up and to get those Ten Commandments and to lead the children of Israel through the desert? All of that will be wonderful. But to see Christ will be far better. To set our eyes on the one who gave himself for us and to see him in all of his glory will be our great joy if you're struggling this morning i hope that that gives you a great confidence and a great joy despite the difficulties and the curves and the burdens of this life someday we shall see jesus just as he is in all of his glory we shall behold him brothers and sisters this morning Fanny J. Crosby is one of the great hymn writers of the Christian faith. If you pick up one of these books from the back and you go through that, you will find many, many wonderful hymns that were penned by Fanny J. Crosby. What many people might not know is that Fanny J. Crosby was blind from birth. 
And in conversation one day with another believer, the other believer said, Miss, I think it's a great pity that the master did not grant you the gift of sight alongside all the other gifts that he has given you. What a sympathetic fellow he was, wasn't he? He was saying, Fanny, it's a great pity you don't have your sight. But Fanny was much more spiritual perhaps than he was, for she replied by saying, Sir, do you know that if at birth I could have made one petition, it would be to have been born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face to ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. The only thing that Fanny J. Crosby has ever seen is the face of her Savior. What a wonderful hope that is. And perhaps that inspired her as she wrote the words of one of her hymns. Oh, oh, the soul thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye. How my full heart will praise him for the mercy, love and grace that prepared me for a mansion in the sky. Fanny J. Crosby had this great hope that she would see Jesus, that she would set her eyes on the one who had loved her and who had guided her all the way here below. I hope that we can take confidence in knowing that as well this morning. Brothers and sisters, if life is difficult, if life is good even, set your eyes above because it will only get better there. Know that your joy is not in the things of this world and your hope is not in the things of this world. Your hope is far better. Your hope stands the test of time. It lifts our eyes beyond the beckoning grave to see the matchless beauty of a day divine when we behold his face. This will be the pleasure of heaven. Yes, there will be a perfect place. There will be many, many people in heaven from every nation, tribe and tongue. Some we know and love down here. Some we don't know. There will be great meetings up there. But the pleasure of heaven will be that they shall see his face. We shall see his face. Can you say, I shall see his face this morning? The heaven that we read of in the Bible is a wonderful place. It's wonderful because of all the things we've looked at this morning. But it's mostly a wonderful place because it's a place where faith gives way to sight. Where we see the one who, though we have not yet seen him, we love On that day, we'll see him and we love him all the more. Why would we consider heaven this morning? Why have I spent 25 to 30 minutes talking about heaven this morning? Why have you spent that time listening? Well, life is short and eternity is long. I stood round an open grave last Saturday and I realized the brevity of life. As I walked around the graveyard after laying my own grandmother to her rest, I noticed in the gravestones just how short life is. There are many, many there who, whenever you worked out their ages, there were 80s, 90s, 70s. But there were plenty who were 20, 30, teens. Life is short. Eternity is very long. Brothers and sisters, we have a great hope for eternity. Those of us who know and love the Lord. So let's lift our eyes today. But unbeliever this morning... Let that question echo in your mind as we close this service. We have tea and coffee afterwards. Where will you spend this long eternity? Will it be in heaven with the Lord Jesus? Or will it be part of that second death as described elsewhere in the Bible? If you've got questions about what you've heard this morning, Barclay will be more than happy to speak to you. I'll be more than happy to speak to you.
But do consider that question. Where will you spend eternity? We're going to sing together to encourage us that there is indeed a higher throne than all this world has known. We're faithful ones from every tongue will one day come. Let's sing of our great hope of eternity in heaven.